Scotty must not have too much to say today because we have a lot we're reading from, so bear with me. (laughs) And if I stop in the middle, it's because I need to go get something to drink. (laughs) So today we'll be reading from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 38. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, but up from supper, and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, You shall never... You shall Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who was bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, and nor is one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that my scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who, I, who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He leaned back, thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, 
What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have needed need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You, you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you will also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Hold on, hold on. This is the future Dr. Devin Saunders, and he will be our first candidate for Harmony Grove's Bachelor. So go on, bud. <laughs> Love Devin, thankful for Devin. Devin um, will be heading back to Berry College this week, um, so y'all please be in prayer for him as well. Um, yes, it was a lot of reading, but at the same time, like I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, context is so important when you're talking about the scripture. And this chapter has a lot of context behind it. Over the last couple of weeks, um, some things in D-Life have really challenged me. For those who don't know what D-Life is, it's what we do in our small groups. Five chapters a week, you read five chapters a week, one chapter a day. Um, for five days, and you point out the things that really stand out to you. Well, when we were going through the middle part of John, um, some things in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 really stuck out to me. One of those phrases that really stuck out to me was right in the middle of what he read this morning. In John three seventeen, it says, If you know these things... You are blessed if you do them. The things that Jesus said hit to his disciples during this time were extremely important. These are almost parting words. This is the night where they did the Last Supper. This is the same night where Jesus is taken, is going out to Gethsemane to pray. And this is the same night where Jesus is ultimately betrayed. This is hard. This is hard. Because what the disciples didn't know is Jesus is trying to leave them some parting words that will help them along in their ministry. 
These words weren't just left for those disciples. Those words were left for us as well. The hard thing for us is to actually take them and apply them. And in this scripture, we're going to dig into something that's pretty deep. It's pretty deep, and for many years, it has been sadly misunderstood. But in this, we see, and this is the only account that we see this in all four Gospels. We see Jesus do something that was really not normal. After they had dined, there was a discussion that took place. When this discussion took place, and we'll get into that discussion, what that discussion was here in just a little bit. But after that discussion had taken place, Jesus did something that was absolutely unnormal. He took off his robe. He girded himself. He grabbed a bowl. He grabbed some water. And he grabbed a towel. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. This is something that they really didn't understand. And honestly, it's something that a lot of us don't understand. But today, I want to help you bring some proper context to what is being said in this scripture, but also what is being done. But when Jesus said those words, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. A question hit me. Was Jesus just talking about foot washing? Was Jesus just talking about foot washing when he said these things? Was he even talking about the true act of foot washing? To properly understand this, we have to have, again, some historical context. So what's the historical context? Many of us, well, let's be honest, many of us have seen foot washing services or been a part of foot washing services. But in those days, foot washing meant something completely different. The first thing, foot washing was a Jewish custom, it was a Jewish custom to wash your feet on a daily basis. In America, we have a custom of washing on a daily basis, I hope. We also have a custom of putting on deodorant on a daily basis as well. But we have this custom of washing for what reason? Hygiene. Hygiene is very important. In this time, water was not as widely used as we use it today. On a daily routine, a person would go about their business. Most people wore sandals. Most people had to travel by foot a lot. Most people worked on foot a lot. So at the end of the day, their feet were pretty dirty. At the end of the day, they would come into the house, they would sit down, and they would begin to wash their feet. Why'd they do that? You ever been to the beach? Come into your, uh, come into your condo or your whatever, wherever you're staying, not even thinking about your feet, get in bed and sands in your bed the rest of the flipping week? You ever done that? It's the most aggravating thing in the world. It sticks to you. It clings to you and just makes you feel dirty. But at the same time, that was the main purpose of this. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 4, we see the first time that foot washing is ever mentioned. And this is Abraham talking to the Lord and his two angels. And he says, please let a little water be brought and wash 
your feet. Does Abraham wash their feet? No. No, he doesn't. Matter of fact, in chapter 19, when these two angels go to Sodom, the same thing takes place. They show up at Lot's door, and Lot says, let me bring you some water so that you may wash your feet. But were there other uses for foot? Was there other uses for foot washing? Yeah. If the homeowner was wealthy and had bond servants, sometimes the bond servant would perform the task. But only, listen to this, if that bond servant was a Gentile, they would perform this task. But if that bond servant was a Jew, by the law, they were not required to perform that task. In Leviticus 25, verse 39, it says, And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. The reason this was is because the feet were considered dirty things. They were considered things that you just don't touch. Matter of fact, y'all remember a couple of years ago, George W. Bush was over in the Middle East and he said something that greatly offended somebody. And do y'all remember what happened? The guy takes his shoe off and throws it all the way across the room and hits him. To us, that seems funny. To us, that seems humorous. But in that culture, it's a great disrespect to have your shoe thrown or to have a shoe thrown at you. It touches one of the most nastiest parts of your body. And in doing that, the person is saying, I despise you. Jews weren't allowed to wash feet. Sure, some did. Sometimes a student would wash the rabbi's feet. We've seen this brought into context in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When Jesus is dining with Simon the Pharisee, and this woman breaks in while they're sitting there dining, and she falls down on her feet, and with tears, she starts washing the Lord's feet. And then she takes her hair, and she starts wiping his feet dry with it. And Simon, the Pharisee, is absolutely disgusted that this is happening. And when he rebukes the woman, Jesus is quick to reprimand Simon for not washing his feet when the sinful woman washed his feet with her tears and his hair. It was also sometimes an act of endearment. There were times that children would wash their father's feet. Jewish children. Every once in a while, the boys do something crazy. I don't know why they do it, but they'll take off my shoes, they'll take off my socks, and they'll say, Daddy, do you want lotion on your feet? <laughs> they got a foot fetish. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll, you know, I'll just go along with it because they're wanting to serve me. They're wanting to serve me not out of servitude, but out of love, out of respect, out of doing something for them. Not only would children do this, 
Wives would a lot of times do this. Jewish wives would a lot of times do this for their husbands as in a term of endearment. Not out of servitude, not out of belittling. Some of you ladies are giving me a look like, don't give him no idea. Husbands, don't go home and ask your wives to wash your feet, okay? Wash them yourself. But they would do this out of a term of endearment. There was also the priestly washing before entering the tabernacle. The sons of Aaron were required by the law to wash their hands and feet before they even entered the tabernacle. So with all this in mind, was Jesus just talking about washing feet in John 3.17 when he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. A question brought come to my mind when I was studying this. If Jesus was specifically talking about the act of washing feet, don't you think it would have been mentioned after Jesus has gone? Don't you think that this would be something that we would read about more? Don't you think that this is something that we would see present in the life of Peter, John, and Paul, and all the disciples as they go out to proclaim the gospel? And what's crazy, if you really dig into your Bible, the act of foot washing is only mentioned one more time in the Bible after this time, and that takes place in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And in that situation, it's talking about the widows who serve in the church, who would wash the feet of the traveling saints who were traveling on a daily basis. Did they do it out of servitude? No, they did it out of love and respect for what the men were doing. So if Jesus was talking about foot washing right here, I think it would have been more present throughout the rest of the Bible, wouldn't it? Now, I don't want you to get me wrong, guys. I am not speaking against foot washing services. I have no right to judge another congregation or denomination. Romans 14.4 makes that very clear. Who, do you, who are you to judge? Another man's servant. But there is a big question in my mind when I read this scripture. And that question is, was Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet a literal or a symbolic teaching? Was it a literal teaching to wash feet or was it a symbolic teaching? At the same time, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is something that we shouldn't do. I don't want you to leave this, con- this service today saying, Scotty said, don't wash feet. Go as God compels you. But at the same time, I am saying it is possible to practice things without understanding them. Every Sunday, thousands upon thousands of people will get up early, get in a car, and go to a building. They will go to a service. But answer me the question, do all of them really understand why they go? No. Every Sunday, well, not every Sunday, but most Sundays, people will actually partake in Holy Communion. But simply because they partake in Holy Communion, does that mean that they understand what they're really doing? 
No. There are people who will partake in the act of baptism. But just because they partake in that act of baptism, does that mean that they fully understand what it means? No. Weekly, people will give. Will give out of the goodness of their heart. But just because they give, do they understand truly why they give? No. When I was young, one of the things that I, and I used this illustration before, one of the things I used to love watch, watch things during church. I've always been a watcher. And I always loved, you could always tell when communion was about to take place. You would walk into the church, and at the front of the church there would be this big table covered in this big white cloth. You remember it, Tommy? A big white cloth. And you knew what was under that. That was the communion supper. But as things transpired, one day that big white cloth was replaced by some different type of containers. And when that big white cloth was replaced, guys, believe it or not, there was a little bit of a disturbance. People had seen this big white cloth placed over the communion all of their life. And when that cloth was removed, oh no, it's not Holy Communion. After digging in a little bit, I found out what the real reason behind the, whole, behind the tablecloth was. Nowhere in the scripture do you see anything about Jesus pulling the tablecloth off the Last Supper and presenting it to the disciples. You want to know why that tablecloth come about? A tablecloth come about because people do not like to drink juice with a fly in it. You think I'm joking, right? Air conditioning is a new invention. Most of us have it. Most of us have it in our homes. Most of us have it in their cars. And over the last couple of days, most of us have really enjoyed it. But before churches were air conditioned, all these windows would have been able to be opened. And have you ever set out a glass of sweet tea or juice or anything at your house and have you seen what, is, what attracts it? Flies. The whole purpose of that tablecloth was nothing sacred, was nothing holy. It was simply to keep the flies out of the juice. But when you remove it from something they've always known, people think you're removing part of the practice. Communion's not about eating. Communion's not about drinking. And matter of fact, in September we'll be partaking in communion. We'll be going into great detail about what it's about. Communion is about your relationship with Christ, about you identifying with the body that was broke for you, about you identifying with the blood that was spilt for you, and about you allowing Christ to use you as his vessel for getting out the gospel. We practice things on a daily basis, and we don't necessarily understand why. Growing up, I used to watch my mom cook. I loved to watch my mom cook. And I find myself doing a lot of the things that my mom's done. My mom always did oven fried squash. How many of y'all like squash? Now I'm about to preach. We're going to talk about food. I absolutely love summertime for one reason. It's the only reason. Squash. I love squash. My mom cooks squash a little bit different than everybody else. She oven fries it. Well, part of oven frying squash 
or part of how she's done it all these years, is she will take the pan, she will put oil all in the pan, and then she'll put it in the oven and let it preheat. So you know, what I, you know how I do it? The same way. You want to know something honest? I don't know why I do that. I have no idea whatsoever why I do that. I've never even asked my mom why I do that. Why do I do it? I do it because somebody else did it before me. I watched how they did it, and I do it. We do the same thing with many things in our life. Why is important. Why is a stage in our lives. All of us had that stage when we were younger. Y'all remember the why years when your kids were young? We're in it right now. Everything is why. Everything is why. Boys, get out of bed. Why? Boys, eat breakfast. Why? Boys, put your clothes on. Why? That one should be, that one should be a no-brainer. Okay? It really should. But when you're in that why stage, it's not a bad stage. Why gives you understanding of what you're doing. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of people will do things just because they've seen them done without full understanding. Today I want you to have proper understanding of what Jesus did. Again, I'm not saying don't do foot washing. I'm not saying wives go home and wash your husband's feet. I'll say husbands go home and wash your wife's feet. But here's the thing. There is a proper context in which this needs to be read. And we can't get it just from John. We've also got to go to Mark chapter 20, or Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 20, and Luke chapter 22. And all of these have this same story without talking about the foot washing. They have this story of all the disciples being gathered together. And the disciples are in a debate. They're in a little argument. And their debate it's kind of childish. When you look at it, it is really childish. One of the disciples looks at one of them and says, who do you think is going to be greatest when we get to heaven? You think it'll be me? Or do you think it'll be Peter? The other one looks at the other disciple and says, oh, that's most definitely going to be me. And Jesus knows what's going on in this conversation. And that's where the proper context of what happens is going on, guys. Who's the greatest? Who out there of all of us will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And honestly, guys, this is something that we all battle with. We dealt with this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We've got these things that we do, and we think these things give us points. There's no brownie point system in heaven, guys. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. That's where heaven comes into play. Because you can do all the right things. You can read your Bible every day. You can come to service every day. You can give. You can love on the poor. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, all of that, from what the Word tells us, is nothing but filthy rags. So when it comes to who's greatest, that's something that all of us still battle with. We battle with what we do. Any of y'all ever looked at somebody and said, why aren't they doing what I'm doing? 
Why aren't they serving the church the way I'm serving the church? Why aren't they serving the community the way I'm serving the community? Why aren't they doing this? And why am I doing it all? I'm going to be honest with you. Humble humility. I battle with this. I really battle with this. Had somebody send me a quote this week that really resonated with me. There's some things I want to fix in the church. There are. But the quote spoke clear. There are some things that you just have to allow God to fix. Because if you fix them, you're going to jail. That's very true in my life. If I try to fix certain situations in some of y'all's lives, I'm going to jail. And that's what Jesus is trying to get to here. It ain't about you. This is a hard pill for us to swallow. This is a very hard pill for us to swallow as followers of Christ. But honestly, people, there's nothing wrong with desiring acceptance. There's nothing wrong with desiring recognition for what you do. But when your pride creates an attitude in you that you should be worshipped for what you do, that's sin. That's sinful. That's prideful. And what does the scripture say about a proud heart? It says God despises it. The main point of Jesus washing the disciples' feet was two simple words. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And I know some of you are saying, but Scotty, he never said that. No, he didn't. But I want to read for you real quick an account of what somebody else said about Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, don't turn there. It'll be on the screen. Write it down. I want you all to listen to this, and I want you to let this word, these words speak to you. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation in love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Having this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who <clears throat> although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself in the form of a bondservant, a slave, a servant. And being made 
in the likeness of men. Being found in the parents as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and those who are under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God forever. Tell me something. Did Jesus know who he was? Did Jesus know he is the son of God? Did Jesus know he is the king of kings? Did Jesus know that he would be the ultimate judge for all of the world? Did Jesus know that he had the right to condemn everyone, yet chose to condemn no one? Did Jesus know that he was a man? Did Jesus know that he was a servant? Do you not understand this is the same image that we're supposed to follow? Jesus wasn't saying to the disciples, go wash people's feet. But he was saying, get your hands dirty. He was saying, do what is most despicable to some, to present yourself as a servant to the world. Remember what I said? Jews didn't wash other people's feet unless it was a student washing the rabbi's feet. Here you have the rabbi, and he's washing the student's feet. Jews didn't wash feet, even if they were a bondservant. Here you have Jesus coming in the form of a bondservant, serving others. But you want to know what stuck out to me most? What stuck out to me most was Jesus wasn't worried about whether people were worthy or not for him to serve them. You ever get that mentality? Man, those people don't deserve what I can do for them. I'm so much better than those people. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my wife. Look at my kids. Don't look at my kids. They don't deserve what I can do for them. And then you sit here and you look at who all Jesus washed the feet of. He washed the feet of stinky fishermen who worked hard every day just to provide for their families. Jesus washed the feet of a tax collector who cheated a lot of people on a daily basis. He washed the feet of a political zealot who was very prideful of his nation, but he even washed the feet of a thief. Some people are disgusted when they see certain people. 
Scotty, I can't serve this individual because you have no idea what they've done to me. You ever have one of those situations? Feel like you can't serve somebody because in some way they betrayed you, in some way they hurt you, in some way they took a knife and stabbed it right in the back? You know what stuck out to me in this scripture? They ate supper. They're having this discussion about who's the greatest. Jesus pulls off his robe, girds himself, grabs a bowl, grabs some water, grabs a towel, and washes all the disciples' feet. Who's also present? The very one who betrayed him. Jesus did not let a little bit of hurt stop him from serving the very person that betrayed him. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the king of kings served the servants. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the creator served the creation. Which leaves me with one big question for all of us. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are that we've achieved some plateau that we don't serve others the way Christ served them? Are you above Christ? Are you greater than Christ? Do you know all of Christ? Uh, know more than Christ? Well, the answer to that question is no. So let me ask you this question again. Who do we think we are? When I read the scripture, and this popped out to me, I'm going to be honest with you. I had to confess. I had to confess because on many occasions I put myself on a pedestal above anything that I should have been. And I've made myself greater than what I really am. And brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to me on this. And I want you to hear me on this. I am guilty. But just because I admit that I'm guilty, it doesn't make me all right to continue going on doing as if I don't know this. The word's clear. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here's my big question for you this morning. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus didn't just serve his family. Matter of fact, he left the family business to serve his father. Jesus just didn't serve the people who agreed with him. Many a times he sat and ate with the Pharisees. Jesus didn't serve those who looked the part because many a times Jesus was found in the places where the lepers were, the places where nobody else would go. Jesus didn't serve people that he agreed with 
he served even those that he disagreed with. And just like it says in Philippians, because this is a thought that rattles my brain on a daily basis. Jesus died to give everybody the opportunity to come to be with him forever, knowing full well that many wouldn't. Would you do that? Would I do that? Most likely not. Most likely not at all. Which is why even I need to repent this morning. Tommy. James 4, 6 tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23, 12 says us, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is what he said. Father, your word's never easy, Lord. Your word's never easy because it's forever changing me. Your word's never easy because it's forever rearranging things in me. Your word's never easy because it constantly goes against what my body desires. So this morning, Lord, I'm praying that you would forgive me, that you would forgive me of all my wrongdoing. But Father, even more than that, I'm praying that you would stir in us the same heart which Paul wrote to the Philippians, that we would be of one mind, that we would be a group of people who would be focused on one task, and that's serving the people of this world with everything we have, just like Jesus served us. Father, I am so thankful that he held back nothing. And this morning, Lord, I'm praying that we do the same, that we will hold back nothing. It is in your name that we humbly pray. Amen. This morning as we stand, this isn't your typical song for invitation, but at the same time, it's a song that's very fitting to what was spoken today. The opening lines of this song are, Who are we that you would be mindful of us? And that's the attitude that we should leave this place with. Who are we? that he should even consider us? Who are we that he should give his life for us? And then when we leave, I want you to look at the people around you. How can I serve them the same way Christ served me? Tommy?